They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task. Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I held from. I had to climb about the trenches, sit on benches till my time had come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. the first thing you do when you wake up? When I know that spring has sprung, I'm looking forward to the sun, to seeing trees, to seeing the ground with no snow on it. Not necessarily looking for rain, but I know it's coming. It is the inevitable. And what is also the inevitable is welcoming you to The Open Run with Will Strickland. That would be me. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at Press. We are press.net. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter, Will Strickland and the number one on IG and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found. It's like a 40 degree day out here, word to the wire. And I think I can make anything relate to the wire in a certain way, but spring is definitely sprung and it's just starting. Some people are OD and getting outside like it's summer. It's not that. And as the weekend has passed, and I'm minded that Sunday truce as I was watching so much basketball on the men's and women's side of things, not too cold you couldn't be outside, but not warm enough to wear shorts. It's like Oatmeal Man, if you know who Gil Scott Heron is. Oatmeal Man was a man who stayed in Parliament, who stayed in Congress for 25 years, but nobody knew his name. He did his job just well enough to keep it, but not too poorly to lose it. Oatmeal Man, the 40-degree day. But again, maybe I'm trying to mind the March Madness when I say that. As we head closer and closer to the end of March Madness, upsets abound. Cinderella is dancing, and I'm enjoying the proceedings. Although I am upset that my women's bracket, which was once pristine, has now been decimated by upsets like Princeton over the University of Kentucky. I just lauded the University of Kentucky last week, talking about they were in a 10-game losing strike when I had my man Gary Durant on. Then they go out and lose in the first round. I don't know if there's ever been a time when the University of Kentucky's men's and women's squads both lost in the first round of the tournament, and they were both upsets because they were the higher seeds. Can somebody? We need somebody to fact check that. On my crack staff, a one. I guess that would be me. Or even number two, Iowa, getting banked last second by Creighton. Who I picked to move on. They were my first round pick, but, you know, I didn't think that they would defeat the Iowa Hawkeyes with player of the year candidate, Caitlin Clark, who was averaging 27-8-8 throughout the season, the leading scorer in the NCAA, but she didn't have the greatest game against Creighton. 15-8-11 sounds like good stats for the average ball player, not someone who has a lot of disco in her game. She's 4-19 for from the field, 3-10 from 3, but let's give it up to Creighton Blue Jays. Even Baylor was upset by, I don't even know, is it, what is the, 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 the mascot for the University of South Dakota? Is it the Fighting Bisons or something like that? I need to look that up. All I know is that they stomped on Baylor, the number one seed in their bracket, team that I thought was going to at least make it to the Final Four, 
Nah. South Dakota said, nah. Add to Belmont. Belmont defeated Oregon. And Oregon, you know, when you go to Oregon, because Phil Knight, the founder, or the founder, I guess he's the owner now of Nike. He's not the founder. Bill Bowerman was the founder of Nike. But Phil Knight financed the whole thing, and now he owns it. They get everything. They get all the gear. Men's and women's, like every sport, because Phil Knight went to that school. So they're always geared up. But they lost to Belmont. I don't know the mascot for Belmont either, but guess what? Doesn't matter. And I thought when I was looking at this game about my mother and where my appreciation for women's basketball started or basketball that just so happens to be played by women started because I've always been a basketball fan. But my mother helped me to appreciate basketball a little bit more in our Nerf Hoops battles in my bedroom. Yes, my mom's all five foot one and three quarters, as she liked to say. Of her, back then she was a giant to me. As a little kid, maybe eight. And I had a full court in my bedroom. Yeah, I mean, the full court meaning one Nerf hoop was hanging off the bedroom door, and my closet door had another Nerf hoop. And I had masking tape on the floor to mark my arcs, my free throw lane, everything. And mom's was killing me. I was eight. She was tough. But after a while, she couldn't play against me anymore. And I was victorious, but made me start to pay more attention to women's basketball. I didn't know about Louisa Harris. I didn't know Lucy Harris at the time. I didn't know she was the woman who scored the first two points in women's Olympic basketball history back in 1976 when I was much more the wee lad. But the first basketball player who just so happened to be a woman who struck my fancy was the great Cheryl Miller. Now, the U.S. didn't go to the Olympics in 1980. They were in Moscow. Had an issue with Russia back then. Having an issue with Russia right now. What's new? So 1984 was the first time I got to see women play basketball in the Olympics. There was no WNBA. Then I got to learn about Lynette Woodard and the McGee twins. Pam and Paula McGee who played with Cheryl Miller at USC. And Teresa Witherspoon. Teaspoon was nice. USC had a squad for years. They were like the, almost like the UConn of their day. University of Texas, when they had it. University of Tennessee, when they had it. It was like that in the 80s. And one lady who was on the team at USC with Cheryl Miller and the McGee twins, Pam McGee being the mother of JaVale, Lindy McGee of the Phoenix Suns, the league-leading Phoenix Suns, was Cynthia Cooper, who now is known as Cynthia Cooper Dyke. She's retiring from Texas Southern University as their head coach. And I tried to figure out What's the difference between resigning and retiring? When she resigns, that's an opportunity for her to come back. But we know that people retire and come back. And we'll have more on that later on the podcast with my special guest. She was one of the first players I really, outside of Cheryl Swoops. Like Cheryl Swoops took over the NCAA tournament one year when she was in school at Texas Tech. And before I forget, shouts out to Olivia White, the first freshman triple-double in tournament history. Show Swoops had a game like that. I thought she would have had that first triple-double. She didn't. But to get back to Cynthia Cooper, who Swoops will eventually become a teammate of in Houston, the first dynasty in WNBA history starting in 1997. The Houston Comets won the first four WNBA championships. She was the finals MVP for all four of them, a two-time MVP. She was in her 30s, her early to mid-30s, when she came over to play. Where has she been playing all that time between... 1984 and 1997, Europe, Italy, to be more specific. She learned the language, learned the customs, 
when an opportunity was presented for her to come and play in a quality league, partner with the NBA, the well-established NBA, who had been around for 50 years at that point, made sense to her. She's making a lot of money overseas, but who wouldn't want to play in front of their hometown fans? Well, maybe not Russell Westbrook. Again, another topic we'll discuss later on the podcast. And so she came home, and she did work. She put in major work. And I've always been a fan of the WNBA, even though people say there are no fans in the WNBA. But she made her bones in the NCAA tournament. Didn't have 68 teams in it like it does now. Was nowhere close to being as big. And though I don't believe she was ever an All-American at USC because she was like the fourth or fifth option on that team back then with Cheryl Miller and the McGee twins and such. She was very integral to that team. And speaking of All-America... Let me shout out the All-America team on the women's side this year because there are some great players, and many of them are still in the NCAA tournament, unlike on the men's side, which we'll talk about a little bit later as well. So shouts out to Naz Hillman from the University of Michigan. Go Blue forever. You know what's up. And Haley Jones from Stanford. They tied, actually, for the fifth spot on the first-team All-American squad, and they're on the team with, of course, Caitlin Clark from Iowa, Nalissa Melissa Smith from Baylor University. Aaliyah Boston, who just recorded her 26th straight double-double in a win in the NCAA tournament over the 8th seed in their bracket, the Miami Hurricane, who were very, very tough. And, of course, Ryan Howard from the University of Kentucky, whose team disappointed me again. Anyway, let me chill. Uh, she's the three-time first-team All-America, and she's the ninth woman to do that. As a matter of fact, the last one, Sabrina Inescu from the New York Liberty was the last one, and she goes on this list. Ryan Howard goes on the list with such luminaries as Asia Wilson. Shemekwa Holtzclaw from Tennessee, she was tough. Elena Beard from Duke. Of course, Brianna Stewart, UConn. Courtney Paris, who was a four-time first-team All-America at the University of Oklahoma, as well as Maya Moore, who's also a four-time first-team All-America at UConn. Brittany Griner is also on that list as the three-time first-team All-American at Baylor. Baylor sounds like bail, which, from what my understanding, something they don't give out in Russia. And Brittany Grant is being held and further detained, whether you believe it legal or illegal, in Russia until May the 19th. The WNBA season starts May the 6th. Is it intentional? I don't know. Is that their process? I don't know. I can't imagine what being detained in a foreign country because you can't earn what you'd like to earn as a professional in the WNBA right now as much as you can overseas, in particular in Russia, where these oligarchs buy these teams and pay whatever to get the best players for bragging rights more than anything else. Also, it's said that uh, some of the ball players feel more free to be who they really are in Europe. There's not the same level of restriction, even though they are allegedly from the land of the free, home of the brave. Whether they are dealing with gender fluidity, sexual orientation, the ability to be who you really are, they can be more free in Europe. I get that. Being able to work and be who you are without the strain and strife of, of, of people caring what your sexual orientation is and why that would matter to your performance on the basketball court. And I realized something this past weekend watching the women's tournament, that every day last week, between 3 and 3.15, whatever the local time was and wherever you were, especially in North America, 
There is an LGBTQ display of solidarity for the Parental Rights and Education Bill in Title IX. So there was a moment of, of silence. It was a real moment of silence when they did it on television. The ladies were playing to show that they stand in solidarity with not only their partners, their teammates of the LGBTQ community, of which Brittany Griner is a part, I thought it was great. So I stayed silent during that time too. I'm all for people being who they really are in this world and having the freedom to do so, not waiting for someone to be the arbiter of that freedom. And hopefully soon, Brittany Griner, even though she has committed a crime in Russia that they say is punishable by five to 10 years in prison, did she violate? Absolutely. I don't know if what they're doing to her is harsh or in accord with the laws and if she needed better friends or whatever the case might be, but she definitely feels like she's being held as a political prisoner. Maybe her sexuality is being held against her as well. This Russian aggression against Ukraine has a bunch of tentacles. It's affecting the WNBA and the NCAA tournament, whether you believe it or not. It's affecting Ukrainian people and people who believe in the sovereignty of that nation and their right not to be invaded by a foreign aggressor. And Tar Vandeveer, head coach of the Stanford Cardinals, they're still in the tournament, is donating $10 for each three-pointer scored in the women's tournament toward Ukraine relief aid. That's dope. And that's what I was thinking about when I woke up this morning. Not that it was a 40-degree day, but I thought about my mother and watching her graduate from university. I had the right and privilege to watch her graduate and be proud. Not that she was graduating as a woman, not that she was graduating as a black woman, but that she was graduating, doing something she wanted to do and being free to do it in the way she wanted to do it. I respect that on all kinds of levels. And hopefully you do the same. You'll come back for more of The Open Run with Will Strickland on the other side of this. Anymore, what you asked for is the open run with Will Strickland in conversation with a friend of the program who hasn't been on the program yet. We go back like fat crayons and car seats. My man, now, do I go with Eddie or do I go with Ed Snap? The third. The third. I mean, you know, you can do Ed, Eddie, Eduardo. Just don't call me an a hole. You know, that's a uh, reserve for uh, my mama when I'm acting out. So any and all are acceptable. We're going to go with Eddie Bissonette the third from ESPN. Brother, welcome to the podcast. How have you been? Been great. Been fantastic. You know, got new additions in my life. Got the baby boy. You know, we got we got promotions. We got, uh, we we doing some fun things at, at the Worldwide Leader, man. We just, we having a good time with it, man. I, I got zero complaints. Well, as I do with each and every person who comes on the podcast, have you run your resume, sir? Talk about where we started, you know, where we first met. And then, like, what you're doing at the Entertainment and Sports Programming Network there, the world leader, or <laughs> to it earlier, and uh, the new additions to your home life. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it goes way back. I mean, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to somebody about just growing up in the the blog era. Like, it's a it's a real thing. Like, people recognize the fact like the blog era is something you know where there was a real takeoff between you know the rise of social media and the rise of personalized. Uh, individualized content and the forming of, you know, cliques and collectives um, online. And some of those 
clicks and collectives turned into major conglomerates like Complex and SB Nation. And, um, and in other ways, it kind of brought communities together. And the fact that, um, you know, then we have uh, like-minded individuals that, that brought folks like you and me together through other people like uh, Morgan Campbell or Bomani Jones and, um, and, and having the, the shared, shared relationships so that, oh man, like I really like, you know, how those guys are, are doing things. Oh, all balls don't bounce. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, and are, oh man, they're doing stuff over there with Sports Fan Journal. All of a sudden you see like, hey, these writers are coming out of these networks. Like, oh man, like they're cool with a Marcus Vanderberg who's over here with us at ESPN now. Or like, you know, you, the, the growth of some of the guys that I've been able to work with, like Justin Tinsley or, or, or Logan Murdoch or, uh, you know, folks like that. And, you know, man, it's it's cool to been able to kind of grow up. I think that the thing is, it's really cool is like you're able to see people do things from a creative standpoint, just looking for a creative outlet and be able to manifest that into something that is um, something that is um, personal passions, career. Now, now, you know, career objectives. Um, some people, you know, some of us are even able to, you know, I wish it was me, but some people have been able to create their own wealth and and economies and. Um, you know, I think about my homegirl, Morgan DeBomb, who's at Blavity and she, what she's done with Afrotech, like people have really been able to, to find ways to, to, to manifest some really cool things off of just talking about what we know, you know, affect the culture as your has, as your hoodie might say. So, yeah, sure. so it's, it's super mean, powerful. Well, it's early yet for you. Don't, don't, you know, you're establishing your wealth. You're taking your aspirations and turning them into activation, my man. So don't, don't despair. You know, you're at ESPN. That's not something that everybody can walk up in. You started, you know, with your own blog. Yeah. And then your yeah. own podcast. So there's steps that you've taken to get to a point where now you get all the knowledge and the experience. And once you're ready, it's almost like when your parents kick you out of the house for the first time. Right. You got all the tools. You know how to fly. Make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny because we, we talk, I talk to some of my students now and I talk to folks who's trying to get into the game and, you know, they tell me like, yo, how do I go down your path? And I'm like, you know, my path, my path has no pathways. It's a, I took a very non-traditional route. But what I would say is, is, you know, these things that we were doing for fun, side projects, passion projects, things that we did to, uh, you know, burning the midnight oil on because it was something that we believed in. Well, we didn't realize that we were actually building our muscles, getting our reps. Um, you know, we could, yeah. we could actually, we could actually uh, succeed and fail and be within an audience that we trust who believed in what we were doing. And then that actually, I think, allowed us to grow so that when it is time to put your work in front of someone like ESPN, they can actually see the value of it. And in fact, what I've actually started to see happening is, is I probably stepped into a situation at ESPN when I, that I was probably uh, overqualified, but I needed to step in at a level to get my foot in the door. And, and now, you know, now I'm in a situation now. So I have a, a new role where I'm a senior editor. I left the NBA group um, leading, uh, co-leading the editorial strategy for our, our combat sports team. So focusing on all things, UFC, boxing, WWE related. Um, and, you know, being able to, to to lead strategy on such a big group, on a big team, I would say that's, that's something growing up. I don't think it was ever something I'd ever conceptualized. So, you know, I come into the situation understanding that, yeah, it's a big opportunity, but I think about the work that I did and I have proven myself and I feel good that we're going to be able to do some really cool things on this team. And we've already done some big projects um, and we got some, some more coming that I'm excited to, to work on in the given year. Well, congrats on the promotion because once you're in the building, realize you're in the building. And those young people you talk to that we're going to talk about where you're teaching right now, 
tell them, stop trying to pathfind and learn how to trailblaze. And that way you don't have to worry about chasing somebody else's path, right? But you said you're teaching now and you're teaching, I guess, sports management, sports business, sports writing, sports journalism. Um, Where are you teaching this? Right. So, you know, part of my journey was, you know, 2014, I decided to, uh, you know, go back to school. I actually quit my day job um, some months prior to that. And I decided to go back to school and uh, I went and got my master's degree. I really wanted to sharpen my tool set uh, at the University of San Francisco one time to Bill Russell, Bill, Bill Cartwright and Sam Jones. Um, and, you know, it's a degree, it's a sport management degree, but I really decided to focus on digital media and, and digital content when I was in the program. You know, I finished that program in 2016. And, you know, with from there, I went from, uh, you know, working at, you know, having my own thing and also working at Fox Sports to then being able to go to ESPN and, and really take off uh, from a career standpoint. Um, but it's really cool because then, you know, five years later, starting in 2021, the thing that I decided to specialize in within the program, digital strategy and sports media, is now the, the exact class I teach. I manifested teaching my, that class That's because dope. I recognized that it was a bit of a void within the program. And so now I'm in year two of teaching that class. And, um, you know, it's actually I'm actually really proud of it because I look at the fact that, you know, I'm one of the in this particular school year. Um, or the last two school years, you know, I'm the only uh, person of color teaching within the program. And then I look at my enrollment and my students and, you know, I've had like a, over 50%. Actually, this year it's 50%. Last year, it was probably more like 90% of just students of color that are enrolling into that program for that class. And so you just realize like, you know, people want to see that representation. They want to be able to hear the perspective in a way that um, is relatable. And so, you know, I've had a lot of good feedback from the program. I actually think we're going to be able to do some really cool things. I'm looking forward to collaborating with the university more to, uh, in the future. Hey, man, like it's also I'll be very frank, too. It's also nice to get an additional paycheck, man, help pay for this baby, this daycare, man, because daycare <laughs> is not cheap. So I'll take all the money the university will give me on the side. Hey, being out there in Cali, you got to drive in that gas prices. Bro, I just filled up, man. Look, this is the funny thing. So I didn't, I use, I have a PayPal debit card and I didn't know that PayPal has a limit on what they'll allow you to run up on your gas purchases because I put $85 of gas and I'm like, I'm pretty sure my gas tank is not full. I only got it like 80% full on an $85 fill up of gas. That's and, um, you know, I'm just like, yo, like this is, this is madness, but you know, it is, it is what it is. Like, yes, California living in LA is, is definitely not cheap, but you know, we're doing okay, man. We, uh, what I would say is where we live in LA, this is the real age and maturation of, of my life is the fact that, you know, I really thought I would be longing to live near Santa Monica, downtown LA, Hollywood, Inglewood, in the core of LA. But man, we done moved out here to the Valley, to LA Burbs. And, you mm-hmm. know, man, as long as I'm close to a Target, you know, there's a Home, there's a home Depot in the street. No burn. They can't get no burn. Sorry. Uh, as long as I'm close to a big box retailer and, you know, a home improvement uh, retail location, and right. I might have access to, um, you know, a, a, a retail store that sells the finest libations, um, and, 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 you know, bottle libation, you know, then we're, we're in a good space. So I don't need much. I don't need as much. I just need my wife to be happy. I need my son to be happy. Um, and I need to be able to do do the work that I believe in, and, and, li- and life goes pretty smooth. Well, you just described to me a rich man, as far as I know. Highly favored at the very least. No doubt. And we're talking to Lawton, Oklahoma's finest Eddie Mason at the third, right here on the open run with Will Strickland. Let's get into the March Madness, man. 
I mean, it's been quite the tournament. You know, I, I, unfortunately, we didn't see Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. Or no, 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 no. This is tournament. But if you had to think about some of your favorite early moments, what would they be? Or give me one favorite moment you can think of. I mean, I you know, I don't know if it's favorite moment. I'll just make it really personal because I picked Auburn to to, to win the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I've watched this Miami team um, with with dude, five dudes I've never heard of before. I'm not gonna say in front like I know these dudes. You know, right. when I was when I was on the you know running NBA group, we had pegged Jabari Smith from Auburn as potentially derailing Chet Holmgren as the number one pick of the NBA 2022 NBA draft. Mm-hmm. And I've watched this Miami team basically decide we're going to run uh, Nolan Richardson's 40 minutes of hell, and we're gonna trap and press. Um, the entire time with five, they're playing like five dudes and they've made Miami's made four threes through two games in the tournament. And they just took out, you know, they beat a a good USC team with Evan Mobley's older brother on that team. And then they beat an Auburn team with two first round picks on that roster, at least with Walker Kessler and, and Jabari Smith. So I, seeing my bracket burn to the ground is not not the greatest fun, but at the same time, like I appreciate helter skelter basketball what Miami's doing. So that's probably the thing that really stands out immediately to me. And shouts out to Coach Rich, who uh, was the man in the old Southwest Conference when I played. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played against Lee Mayberry and Todd Day and Oliver Miller. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, I used used to hate to go into Barnhill Arena at University of Arkansas back in the day, but Coach was everything. So. I would say my moments talking about coaches was with a coach that's been maligned a little bit this season, Juwan Howard, go blue all day, every day. Mm-hmm. And Kennedy Chandler from the University of Tennessee, who I guess he's known since the fourth grade and mm-hmm. was consoling him at the end of the game. It was a tough loss for him. I mean, this kid was losing it. He was hugging Juwan and Juwan was just there for him. Not as the opposing coach, but as a friend, as somebody who he knew growing up. And that was the thing that touched me. So he will never get his shining moment necessarily, uh, at least not this year, but that to me meant a whole lot to, when you talk about seeing someone who reflects you and is representative of your experience, and you know what they went through. I know he knows the Fat Five story, you know, and just, hey, look, man, we went to the finals twice and lost. So he's over there telling him this and like embracing this kid. That was one of my moments. But we talk about surprises in the tournament right now, Eddie. Um, is there a team that surprised you? Like maybe it's Miami. Maybe it's the Miami team. It's, you just know it. Playing five guys. Uh, well, Claire Nega got him playing hard, man. Yeah, I mean, look. This here's the thing. The thing that I've come to understand and appreciate, or lack, or maybe not appreciate about college basketball is that you know I think when we were growing up, uh, the you know I'm thinking about like the 2080 rule and maybe even the 9010 of like you know the top 10 percent of the teams in the tournament like felt like they were demonstrably better than the rest of the the tourney pool. Um, you know, the talent had been there longer. There was, you know, more than likely more professional talent on these teams. Um, and of course we've seen over the course of time with um, the one and done rule team players having more options to play at different schools overseas and other leagues, uh, you know, there's been a bit of a dilution in some, to some degree. And so like, I hate to say it, but like, I wasn't surprised that St. Peter's beat Kentucky. Like, I don't think Kentucky has been on the level of which Kentucky usually is for about four to five years now, in my opinion. Um, but then I also think about surprise in the, in the fact that I was watching the Baylor-North Carolina game, mm-hmm. and I was telling my partner, I'm, I, you know, I'm like, 
Baylor, a one seed versus North Carolina and eight is something that uh, is delusions of grandeur of me of maybe five or 10 years ago. Like I am not accustomed to Baylor being good at anything. Like the last time Baylor was good at anything before like the last five, 10 years, like Mike Singletary played middle linebacker for Baylor. (laughs) And so, you know, and then we go for this 20, 25 year, 30 year run of like despair and drama in Waco. And by the way, it's in Waco. We all know the things that happened in Waco. And then they have lecherous, debaucherous coaches like Steve Bliss and having a player on their team, which I'm not being dramatic, like killed somebody. And then their football program, has you know rampant oh, Riles, rampant yeah. domestic uh or sexual assault happening from their players like this this is this is like what Baylor is and I don't say that to disparage Baylor University but it is not something I've ever been accustomed to seeing them be successful so to then see the fact that Baylor was a one seed playing North Carolina in eight and like the the rankings be reversed. And then for North Carolina for 75% of the game to be running rough shot on, on Baylor, I thought was a surprise until they decided to come back and then North Carolina pulled it out. And it's like, you know, talk about not seeing any of those uh, probabilities coming to pass. Like I just didn't see North Carolina. I never hadn't been impressed by anything North Carolina had really done all season, except for the most hilarious thing they did, which was beat coach K on coach K's last game. That was hilarious. But what I would say about North Carolina, and it reminded me of what Memphis almost did against Gonzaga is Mm -hmm. Sometimes what you see with talented teams that don't look great in the regular season, and I kind of thought this could happen with Kentucky too, is like you're dealing with so many players on a Memphis, Gonzaga, uh, Kentucky, North Carolina, that them dudes were used to being not just the man on a team wherever they played, but being like the best of the best. You're talking about actual four stars and five stars. And like, yeah. You yeah, know? Imani Bates like didn't even Imani Bates and Penny had beef. He didn't even play the last eleven games of the regular season. Right. Played three minutes in the first game, but Penny was like Penny at once was a real one and also like very transparent about yo. I'm trying to get this dub, Imani. You about to play? So right. <laughs> uh, so you know, but like you know, North Carolina. I'm just like the last time North Carolina was an eight seed. I think they went to the that was the Final Four team they had with Julius Peppers and Jason Capel. Like that right. random team that went to the to the final four with that team, like, but North Carolina should never be an eight seed, and so um, uh, everything about everything about that is surprising to me. And yeah. um, the fact that they're going forward, uh, good for Hubert Davis and and, and them boys, and the words of Stephen A. Um, yeah. But that was probably the thing that I probably enjoyed and was a pleasant surprise. Well, the Cinderellas are dancing, you know. Uh, number eleven, Iowa State. Was two twenty two last year, and they're in the Sweet Sixteen this year. How? How? Oh, I mean, but that's the thing. Like, but to that point, like, you get a new coach in there, you get some JUCOs, you get some transfers. Like, it is not. I think if anything, what should not be a surprise anymore is that there's not, if you are a new coach or you have a, a, a you take over a program that is in despair, it's not. Nobody gets a hey. I need three to five years to figure this out. Like that, that that excuse is not in the bag anymore. Um, in Iowa State, I mean, look, they went from two wins to like twenty, or I don't know how many wins they were to. But like Iowa State traditionally has, you know, like just a couple of years ago, they had Tyrese Halliburton, like they had yeah. George's Niang. They 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 have put dudes in the league. Um, Lindell so, Wiggington. You say what now? The Bucks. Lindell Wiggington, who's oh, from yeah. Halifax, Nova Scotia. It, he's in the NBA right now as well. So they have some players for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, Iowa State has found ways to, you know, if Iowa State can figure it out, if you're listening and your team isn't in the tournament, your sorry team can figure out how to get it turned around too. Oklahoma, I mean, Oklahoma went and got old buddy who made miracle miracles happen with Sister Gina at Loyola Chicago, yeah. and they couldn't make the tournament. Like, it's it's not to say that Porter Moser is doing a bad job. I think he's doing okay. But, like, the wildness and the fluctuations in which some of these teams perform, like – that's not nearly as much of a surprise to me. This is there's free agency in college basketball right now. That's mm-hmm. part of the reason. And you see a team that you talk about St. Peter's. I look at like University of Houston. They lost like their two leading scorers in December. They have a bunch of guys who are dogs. Kelvin Sanders doing an incredible job there. Crazy ass mattress smack is dollars. <laughs> this year he's lost almost twenty million dollars betting on the Super Bowl on baseball. You bet a million dollars that the winner of the of March Madness would come in the East. I can't see it happening. So he's mm-hmm. going to lose a million. But I'm looking at teams like, <laughs> talk about St. Peter's. Kahina Holloway, not long for St. Peter's. He's out of there in a minute. You can trust that. And mm-hmm. did you realize that he was the MVP of the McDonald's All-Star Game in 1996? You know who played that game? Uh, Kobe. Kobe, Steven Jackson, Jermaine O'Neal, Rip Hamilton. And Shaheen Holloway, all five foot ten, that's generous, was the MVP of that game. And now he's about to be the MVP for I think he's going back to Seton Hall, to tell you the truth. I think he's going I mean, back. look, this is this is what I'm gonna say is, you know, I again like I it, it takes a lot to surprise me. And I'm not gonna be the one to sit here and act like I knew anything about St. Peter's before I saw him on my television screen. But when I looked up and saw that, I was like, that's Shaheen Holloway. And I was like, right. oh, and like I think he might have had the line of the tournament. He, I mean, it was, you know, he was just like, are you surprised? Like, how do you feel? He's like, no, nah, like, this is basketball. Like, right. you know, we yeah. expect to win. And I was just like, I mean, that sounds like what a former point guard of an NBA player, you know, collegiate superstar is exactly what I would expect somebody like him to say. The thing that St. Peter's did more than anything else against Kentucky, like, the only thing I would say that I think really mattered is that they weren't afraid of Kentucky. They played like a team. There, there was no back down. You know, they, you know, they, there was no bluffing you know, uh, uh, on that team. And they played like, we are just as good as you. And really, yeah. And really in the tournament, that's, that's what matters almost is is almost like oblivious, arrogant, irrational confidence, which is why they always say like guards, guard play is so uh, necessary in the tournament because, you know, if you got a dude that believes I'm about to score 30 and I'm about to hit these threes and I'm going to disrespect whoever you, you put in front of me, like that could, that could work in your favor. You know, because the thing is, is, it's like riding a hot goalie. You just need to be hot for five. You know, if you if you want to if you want to be known on the tournament, you just got to be hot for two games. And if you want to actually make a legitimate run, if you're a really good team, you got to be hot for four games. And if you can get to the final four, then it's more of a crapshoot. That's really yeah. all you're asking for. So, yeah. well, I mean, you talked about teams that are like that. A, a guy who ran through the tournament a little bit back in the day. Uh, I want to say a happy belated birthday to Wardell Stephen Curry the second, who was getting trolled. And then Michigan State Davidson game by his teammate Draymond Jamal Green Senior. Mm-hmm. Then they got trounced. I guess I wouldn't say it's trounced by Duke and Coach K still moving on. They feel like they can win it all, and they have enough to do it. Gonzaga, you talk about Gonzaga against Memphis State, losing to a guy who looks like he's the weekend warrior, YMCA dad, Drew Timmy with that mustache. But he's, he can hoop. And you talk about guards before we, we go off on this. I want to send a shout out to Arkansas assistant coach Keith Smart, 35 years ago. Okay. Hit a game winning shot against Syracuse. Yeah. 
to win Indiana in the national championship. I didn't know he was on that bench. I just saw him the other day. That was crazy. Mm-hmm. I just thought about that. But mm-hmm. another guy who was a stellar college basketball player who was still trying to hold on to that dream, trying to pathfind, figure it out, is a guy who made this quote, and I want to say this to you before we went to break. Do I have to be Delonte West to get help? And this was Michael Beasley on the pivot with Ryan Clark, Channing Crowder, and Fred Taylor. You're talking about his mental health issues and the things he had gone through. He was one of the best college basketball players for the year he was there. I had seen a long time. And he talks about all he had was basketball. And when I talk about you being a rich man because of the things you had, he had financial riches, but he didn't have the emotional riches you talk about with making sure your family is good. You got the baby, you got your wife, you got a solid job. He didn't have that. Did you, uh, were you able to catch any of that? Was Wait, was I able to catch? Uh, you talk about the quote? Yeah, just, you know, what he was talking about and his mental health issues. I mean, people had clowned him for so long in the NBA, they just thought he was crazy. Like, yeah. crazy, it's dismissive to say he's crazy. But, you know, well, those- it's, it's obvious when you have certain people come into situations where they don't come from any structure or they don't have the awareness or the resources to, to deal with things when they become volatile. And I think, you know, like his story, I did not catch the, the interview but mm-hmm. I'm very familiar with Michael Beasley's story. He's one of my all-time favorite college basketball. It, heck, even one of my favorite pro players. But, right. um, you know, like, but also when you hear um, how he managed and dealt with authority, rules, um, structure, like right. these were all things that, you know, basically he kind of, he, he would fold um, right. and for, for the longest time. The reality is, is that that is... It's when we see or think about our peers or, or people that are going through those things, they normally don't do it under the bright lights while they're being paid millions and they can be scrutinized by folks like me and the folks that do the things that I do in the media. So, you know, like I, I think that Beasley is a cautionary tale. I'm glad that, you know, I'm glad that he's been able to get to a point where he can like fully understand what he what he went through. And he can be a sounding board so that others don't have to walk the path that he did um, and they can walk a different one. And, you know, I think you look you look at the kids that are in these tournaments now. Like the one thing you cannot say about professional basketball and college basketball now, you know, these kids are pros at 17. These kids are pros at 16 years old. These kids are very mentally ahead of where. Uh, they should be, and it's you know the 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 league and the in the colleges and the professional opportunities even outside of the NBA. It is rapidly getting these kids ready to be on the stage, and so you know it's almost I, I almost don't like it to some degree because they're almost a little too cookie cutter. They almost you know when yeah. that's when when you see someone like Anthony Edwards be very anti cookie cutter, like you could tell like there's no governor on what he's saying. No doubt. Yeah. You know, he's you you can tell like, oh, he's he's keeping it almost all the way 100, like to 100. And uh, but I appreciate like because, you know, don't don't strip. I just I never want to have superstars, their personality strip. You know, I want my I want my favorite professional athletes have always been, you know, resembling uh resembling professional wrestlers i mean you could say what you want about russell westbrook but i love i love russ because he's always a hissing radiator and mm-hmm. um you know he is confidence personified even when it's in the face of going three for 19 and still throwing up air balls he's still absurdly over, overly confident and i love that about him 
Um, and so, you know, like these are things that I love. And so, you know, I look at the NCAA tournament now and I'm like, it sometimes does feel sterile. It's the reason why I probably don't always root for Duke and I don't always root for Kansas because like, you know, there's nothing inherently cool about those programs to me. Machines. Um, yeah. And that's why I like, I look at Kelvin Sampson and what he's doing in Houston. He's got a, he's got a whole team of H-Town listening to Fat Pat and uh, Tops Drop, you know, like it's a whole different, different thing um, you, you see. And um, you see, you see UCLA out here with a dude named Tiger. I'm like, I don't know how John Wooden would feel about that, but I'm cool with it. You know, like, Nah. It's uh you know finding the personality in the tournament is really the joy, um and so those are the things that I try to root for as much as I can. Well, we appreciate you sharing that joy with us here, and please come back for more on the other side of this on the Open Run with Will Strickland. He's gonna speak for us. You're now listening to the sounds of the open run Will Strickland, where the lecture is conducted from the mic to the speaker in conversation with ESPN senior editor Eddie Masonette III, talking about some zero appreciation. You might take that. Yes, you had to. It's all good. It's Oklahoma City. You're talking about your guy, Russell Westbrook. And there's a lot going on with Russ this season, playing in, in LA, going back home. And I, I was watching a couple of different possessions and things in games Minnesota there's a possession series in game against Minnesota that I'm like has he checked out somebody even said is Jeannie Buss using Russell to launder 45 million dollars this year I'm like come on man relax but why do you think that people go so hard body on Russ like that man yeah I mean it's actually I don't want to say it's disappointing but it it the situation with Russ is almost a reminder that and if you get offended at me saying that, not you, but like people mm. listening, but like I, I, it's people uh, show their backsides about what they know and don't know about how things happen within the sport. Um, yes, and when you when you hear people talk about things like Russ, you know, uh, I think it's it's funny how Russ is being blamed. So look, Russ for twelve years has been defiantly uh, confident at all costs, believing he could literally do anything on the court. And for about a decade, he has. Um, he's played at an absurdly high level. We all know the the bona fides, so to speak, that he's been able to achieve um, yeah, sure. playing the way he does. But the reality is, me as a Russell Westbrook apologist, when I heard that the Lakers had made a, a trade for Russell Russell Westbrook, I was like, yo, that's that's that doesn't sound like a good idea at all. That sounds like the worst decision they could make. Why would you bring Russ to that team, right? Russ on some different types of teams I could see being beneficial, but that one, that seems like uh, an unnecessary expensive ad. And uh, the reality is, is like Russ is playing um, about the same as he did when he played in Washington. Um, and when he played in Houston, it's not, it's, he's not as successful or as efficient as he was before. Mm -hmm. um, but the things that they are asking him to do um, is already putting himself in a downhill and a downward trajectory, a downward situation, and just just making it a lot worse. And so, I think it's I think it's best bad form on uh, our boy uh, Rob Lowe. I mean Rob Palinka, 
Uh, for the Freudian slip or not. Yeah. Yeah. For, you know, Palinka in his bad form on LeBron and AD and Clutch for initiating that move because it wasn't like Russ went to them and was like, I want to be on this team. He, it's not like Russ went to the Wizards and said, get me off of the Wizards and get me to the Lakers. That's not how these things work. If you know anything about basketball, that's not how it works. What happened is, you know, from what we understand, is that was something that the the clutch camp, LeBron's camp wanted, and the the Lakers acquiesced because we also understand that there were other deals and opportunities on the table, including the opportunity to retain Dennis Schroeder, potentially to get Buddy healed, potentially be in the running for, for Kyle Lowry, uh, this, is that, or whatever. And then when things go bad, so now this team is ex- exceptionally thin. They have no depth. And then Anthony Davis gets hurt. Uh, Le- Le- LeBron is only – 95% of what he used to be, you know, which is still exceptional. But, you know, the, these things, you know, one player is not able to carry a team like he has for the previous 17 years in the way that he usually has been. Um, it's just a bad situation. And I think Russ, for numerous times of his career, for better or worse, has always made, been made for a great meat shield. Um, he did it for KD when he was in Golden State. I mean, excuse me, when he was in Oklahoma City. To a degree, he, it happened for him when he was with Harden. Uh, and now it's happening with them with the Lakers. And I think part of that is because what Russ is a hissing radiator all the time. And he is the ultimate, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss her in here or not, but he is the ultimate, he is the ultimate and like consistently for better or worse talking that shit. Um, and he, you know, is defiant. And so I think he makes for a fantastic target from fans and from talking heads um, as well. And this is before you get into the fact that, you know, this is a player that, yes, that personality and that ego has made him, you know, one of the 75 greatest players of all time as voted by his peers in the media. He told Um, the guy yesterday, yo, um, what he, this guy, this reporter was asking ridiculous questions about why did you have the confidence to take this shot after you took a bad shot? He goes, dude, I scored 23,000 points in this league. What's, I don't understand your question. Right. I think I made more than I missed or like it's a dumb question. But again, they're trying to create a narrative around him. And I totally get why they're doing that is because there is a spotlight when you play for one of the premier franchises in the association. So I think there's something to that. And you have to also remember, like, this is a dude. It took that type of ego and mindset to get him to where he is in the league. But it also means that fans think that they can talk to him or do things to him that they wouldn't do to anybody that was in their face or a normal human. We all remember what happened to him when the the the, the couple threw slurs at him when he was in Utah. When you could, we all remember the visual of the fan from Philly going double middle fingers. Right. Uh, there's the meme of him pointing at the fan. We've also seen when Russell Westbrook has had beer poured over his head, you know, while he's leaving the court. You know, like the way that. Uh, and now we hear of the latest thing about, you know, in Toronto, uh, with Toronto that I, yeah, I wasn't even thinking about that, but the whole Toronto fan incident, yeah, you know, now we're talking about the, the, the hotel. Yeah. You know, and, and then you hear about the, the, the Westbrook situation that, you know, our, our sports media ecosystem, we, that was 72 hours of content right there. And so, you know, I think that for someone like him, this probably ha- the, for his entire career, being that hissing radiator, defy, defying any form of logic into, hey, man, like me doing it this way 
is going to give me ultimate success and ultimate confidence and ultimate happiness. And for the first time in his career, those things are being met not only with resistance, but also with um, just different challenges that he's not expecting. And so, and then he's got to be able to bring that home and you can, and we can actually see these things are affecting literally his family and his kids. Look, to the degree that people say they don't take it home, the 24 hour news cycle, social media, is always on top of you. And whether they say that you don't read it or not, somebody's going to bring it to you one way or the other. That does have an effect. And we were talking about Beasley earlier. We're not built to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders, right? And that's why you have a wife, you have a partner, you have a friend to share that stuff with. But when you see it affecting them to a greater degree than it's affecting you, that becomes a different value proposition altogether. Sure. It's very tough. Um, and again, I'm not necessarily keeping one way or the other. I know you are the president and, and, and founder of the Zero Appreciation Fan Club. Only thing I'm gonna say, let me let me let me just only say this one thing. Look, we all recognize the fact that that when the wheels fall off of this thing, it's gonna get ugly. And yeah. and the the thing that I think sucks about it is what he was doing in Washington was fine. What he was doing in Houston was fine. Like I think I still think that I, look. I don't. I, I would say yes. He's gonna get this last year. People are already be like, oh, they're they gonna trade him. They're gonna tell him not to play. Whatever. I'm gonna tell you right now. Day one when the when the uh, when the 45 million. Sorry about that. When the when the 45 million dollar option is there to be taken, he's coming to get that 45 million. Number one. And number two, I would say that when when his season his contract is up, when his contract is up with the Lakers. He's gonna play another year. He might not. He might not get as. He's not gonna get forty five million, obviously. But I do think that he can still have a, a place in this league beyond this next max contract. He might say, "I'm gonna walk away. Like I don't need this anymore," and I totally get it. But I just, I, I just can't explain enough how bad of a situation he was brought into. And of course, he's gonna think it's gonna work. Like again, he's one of the most confident people we've ever experienced, and he's playing on a pl- team with LeBron James. Like, why wouldn't you think you ain't gonna be able to figure it out? Right, um, but but we've all know we all thought from day one, man. This is this is this is either going to go really good or really bad, and it turned out yeah. to go really bad. Yeah, um, and and that's again like in a in a in an era and a time of player empowerment, and we look at all the things that drives the movement of the league to then be like, hey, like this is Russ is doing to me is is wild, and like we're never going to play like LeBron is is Teflon Bron, and like I love Bron, so like I'm not. But he, but I'm not gonna say he doesn't deserve some some call out on this, and neither should, and so should Jeannie Bus and Rob Palinka. Like to me, that is a failed organizational effort by the Lakers. And let's be very clear. While I'm here, one last thing I'm gonna say about the Lakers: <laughs> if it were not, if it were not for LeBron Raymond James, we would be or sitting or here in this podcast, sir. Wait, hold on. I'm, I'm, saying, I'm not saying nothing not negative about him. No, I'm saying because of the emotions around his name from the people who listen to this, he is referred to in this podcast as the hashtag he who shan't be named. He who shan't be named. Yes, sir. That is poppycock. That is poppycock. Look, the the man who wears number six in Los Angeles, that man did not decide to, to take his talents to L.A. It is very clear and very evident to me. That the Lakers would be would continue to be in organizational mediocrity, and they have not proven that they are capable of doing anything that is successful 
within that organization. And if it were not for LeBron, then they would not have had the championship or had the opportunity to get Anthony Davis. And when LeBron leaves that organization, if those same people are in place, I don't have any confidence that things will be any better. So, um, you know, like I just think that this is really a, a bigger snapshot on the Lakers organization as a whole. And it doesn't have really anything to do with Russell Westbrook because he was always a player in decline and that was never a good situation for him in the first place. Well, before we get you out of here, I appreciate the commentary, no doubt. And we are in conversation with Eddie Masonette the third of ESPN. Uh, Shouts out, we're talking about Oklahoma real quick on your shirt, sweater, hoodie, whatever. Um, happy birthday to Blake Austin Griffin. He just had a birthday recently, but hey man. Uh, uh, he, hey man, look, man, uh, talk about giving light skinned dudes from the crib confidence. Hey, you know, I'm just trying to help you out. I'm just trying to help. Uh, I mean, look, we good, but you know, I mean, we, we got we got traded bars, we got ice tray, we got Trey Young, we got Blake Griffin. Right. You know, look, I, I put this I put this on. He brought up Lawton, Oklahoma. Look, the only person from Lawton, Oklahoma that went to OU that matters is, is uh, two time NBA champion Stacey King from the crib. Hot uh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? And and it's a true story. My mom used to do Stacy King's daddy's hair because Stacy wow. King's daddy was low key pimping out here in these streets, getting his nails filed and everything. And my mom showed up. <laughs> and, and, and I don't say that in no negative way because Mr. King and Mrs. King were good to me. I know them, you know, personally. I've been to their house, I've seen the Stacy King shrine in the house. And, uh, you know, it's always funny when you bring up the name. Michael Jordan in that house, and you know, then the, we Mrs. King just say we don't talk about that man in this house. Oh, and, and you just gave me value added material to the podcast today. Thank you, sir. And it's funny because transitions, much like tricks, are for kids. Michael Jeffrey Jordan on March 18th, 1995, said, I'm back. <laughs> they came to drop be hot seven for 28 from the field with 19.6 rebounds to six assists. Imagine if we had social media back when the alleged or so-called GOAT to many went seven for 28 in the game. I, I think the media today, imagine the slander. I don't think he would have got slander because if my memory serves correct, I think they beat the Pacers in that game. And I think we've seen enough. I think there would have been, you know, even in 95, the Jordan stands would have been very strong and, you know, they would probably have said something to the fact, well, wait till he actually plays well. And then well, they did that. They did that because when you hit the double nickel, right? Yeah. And we we call whether it's the JDL, the Jordanian Defense League, or uh, the Stanleys, they're proper mm. now. So no more Stanley Stanleys. Mm. Uh, he got A1 credit with them. Of course. But seven for 28 is hot pockets, right? And then, oh, there's another excuse in the goalpost moves when Nick Anderson picks them off and like, then they lose. Oh, he didn't play enough games. Well, you weren't saying that when he hit 55 on John Starks. I make up your mind, my guy. I mean, oh, hold on. Are we are, are we using this time to put a ding in the legacy of Jordan? Or I, I, hold on. I'm, I'm, dings. I'm just asking if we had social media, you and you gave me your perspective that you didn't think he would be slandered. But I mean, they slandered West for going whatever. I'm just using the examples we just talked about. So where it's you know, good for Wes, why is it not good for Michael Jeffrey Jordan? I get it. There's a, there are levels, mm. right? but at the same time, 7 for 28 is still 7 for 28. In a win. I don't even like Jordan like that, but even I would say, hey, man, they won the game, and they desperately wanted that man to come back, and I think uh, 7 to 28 is not great. Mm. Um, 
but you, you take the dub. So I don't know, I'll leave it short and sweet from there. Well, I appreciate you, man. And you let people know where they can find you um, uh, online if they want to know more about Eddie Mason the third. Yeah, I mean, look, man, I, my uh, the, my content days are really in, investing in, in other content creators now uh, Now that I have reporters and, and writers that I manage. But you can still follow all of my social media shenanigans at the sports fan. The only thing that I'm really going to push more than anything now is the creative side that I'm able to d- dive into is uh, Sit Mightily, which is uh, my newsletter and part of my Brown Liquor Collective, which is focused on um encouraging um black people and brown people and women in particular to really um get in get excited and be uh adventurous when it comes to whiskey and other forms of brown liquor especially um you know spirits that are aged in barrels because i think the barrel provides character and it provides obviously color to the spirit um and so that's why i've always been drawn to uh brown liquor in that way um and so the newsletter is just an extension of that and you know my personal stories recipes and cocktails that i craft or come across um, and then also just uh, things that really excite me about the industry. And, and occasionally we get to talk to other people about it as well. So check out the newsletter, sitmightily.substack.com. Uh, um, and then you can always follow me for more info as far as that's concerned. So, you know, cheers. Cheers to you, Will Strickland. Appreciate you and your energy. Please keep it going at all times. Thank you, sir. Your energy is appreciated as well. And I hope you have an, a fantastic evening. I appreciate that, sir. Thank you very much. Easy. Eddie for coming on and doing his thing. Continued success, my brother, at ESPN. And with that said, it is now on to the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA and beyond. Happy birthday to my man, the cobbler of all things here at The Open Run. Man who puts this program together, my man, Ryan Antonio Henry, who just celebrated his birthday recently. Shout out to you, Ryan. And shout out to the men's All-America team. Most of them who are not in the tournament right now, which is crazy. But Keegan Murray from the University of Iowa, Kofi Coburn from the University of Illinois, Johnny Davis of the University of Wisconsin, Oscar Shibwe of the University of Kentucky, and Oche Akbaji from Kansas University, the only first team All-America still in the tournament right now. Crazy, but it is what it is. Just like the coaching carousel in college basketball, Some are in, some are out, and one in particular, the University of South Carolina's Frank Martin is out in Columbia. I'm sure he will find a soft landing space with lots of cash to luxuriate in sooner than later. Shout out to Cleveland State's Dennis Gates, who has been tapped to be the next head coach of the University of Missouri Tigers. So congrats to him. Also, New Mexico State's Chris Jans getting a new deal. At Mississippi State, down in Octibet Hall Cannon in Starkville, Mississippi. Don't ask me why I said it like that. Well, I guess I should tell you. I actually went to play a game there once, and our bus driver said it just like that on our way to the arena. You're now in Octibet Hall Cannon in Starkville, Mississippi. Yeah, probably not going back anytime soon. Shouts out to another coach in the state of Mississippi, Mo Williams, 2016 NBA champion Mo Williams with the Cleveland Cavaliers, is now the new head coach at Jackson State University, going along with Prime down there 
in Jackson, Mississippi. Shout out to Nick's assistant head coach and former standout at the University of Louisville, Kenny Payne, who is now going back to coach his alma mater at Louisville. I knew he was going to get that job. I talked about that with Nada Edwards a couple of weeks ago. I'm glad that the University of Louisville followed through. Seton Hall University's Kevin Willard, soon to be for the University of Maryland, Mark Turgeon, and I guess they're not going to give Danny Manning a chance down there. Maybe he's only destined to be an assistant even though he was the head man at Tulsa for a little bit. I mean, this is the 1988 most outstanding player in the NCAA tournament, Danny Manning. Not going to get his chance at the Maryland seat. So, shout out to Kevin Willard at Seton Hall, who is openly advocating for St. Peter's Shaheen Holloway, graduate of Seton Hall University, to get the job he's leaving. And I don't think that he is long for St. Peter's, especially if St. Peter's goes any further than the Sweet 16 that he has him in right now. So Shaheen Holloway to Seton Hall, you can almost bank on it. Shouts out to Ryan Terrell, the leading scorer in the NCAA this season from Yeshiva University. He wants to be the first Orthodox Jew in the NBA. Could be a possibility. We'll see what he does at the Combines because I don't think he's on any draft boards right now. Because of his faith, he plays with a yarmulke on his head. He expects that anywhere he plays professionally, he'll do the same. So I wish him well in his, his journey toward the National Basketball Association. The Reverend Al Sharpton is putting the screws to the NBA and to the Phoenix Suns on the Robert Sarver investigation case. Sharpton, I guess, feeling like he's being left out of the conversation. I don't know. Want to see what he could get into. And the Sarver investigation seems to be taking too long for Al's taste. So Al Sharpton made a plea and made a promise to the National Basketball Association that if there's not some resolution where Sarver is ousted from his post as owner of the Phoenix Suns, that he's going to start making noise down there with protests and things of this nature. We'll soon see how effective this tact is by reference Sharpton. Shouts out to my man Patrick Williams, one of the top rookies last year, really looking forward to becoming one of those guys. Like a, I don't think he's as talented as Scotty Barnes, even though they went to the same school as Florida State. But he's definitely a defensive-minded player who the Chicago Bulls desperately need as they've been sliding of late injuries and regressing to the mean, I guess, for a team that hadn't been anywhere near the mean. It's not a bad deal for them, but they have slipped out of our power 10. We'll talk about that in a second. Patrick Williams, as of the recording of this podcast, is going to be coming back versus Toronto and the Raptors this Monday. I don't know if he's on a minutes restriction for a guy who hadn't played since the beginning of the year, hurt his wrist after a flagrant foul from the New York Knickerbockers, Mitchell Robinson. We're looking forward to seeing Patrick Williams and how he's integrated into that lineup in Chicago. Some injury news to report, of course, Wardell Stephen Curry the second out with a left foot sprain. Just when they seem to be getting healthy, they get more injuries. And another setback from a young player, James Wiseman, looking like he was going to come back sooner than later and get ready for the playoffs is experiencing some knee soreness, so he will not be playing right now. And another young man who, I guess, is experiencing some foot pains, much like Steph Curry. Zion Williamson is not expected to come back this season. Those Pelicans are now in ninth place in the West. They started off 1-12 in the season. They've leapfrogged the Los Angeles Lakers as the number nine seed in the play-in situation. The Lakers are threatening to be outside of the playoff window altogether, but we'll see how that works out. Players of the week this week, Luca Lamar, that's with two R's, Doncic from the West, and in the East, Kevin Wayne Durant, shouts out to those guys, they both average over 30 points, 10 real, like, 
out unreal stats. And as we talked about with Eddie, like somebody's going to get the luxury, if you want to call it that, of facing Kevin Durant and possibly Kyrie Andrew Irving in the first round of the playoffs. Is Ben Simmons coming back? I don't know. One of the top defensive teams in the league. I never thought I'd say that with a team that was led by Luka Doncic, but Jason Kidd is one of the best defenders at the point position, and Luka's given some effort, so kudos to them. The game of the week to me, hands down, was the MVP arms race between the Colonel's son, Joel Hans Embiid, and Nikola Jermaine Jokic. The Denver Nuggets were down 19 to Embiid, who came out really aggressive against Jokic. Maybe to prove a point that he was the MVP, Scored 34 points, had 9 rebounds, but Jokic had more impact across the board. 22 points, 13 rebounds, 8 assists, including some incredible passes during this game, if you saw them. You hit Jeff Green with a no-look on the fast break. You're 6'10", 6'11", center. Leading the fast break with no-look passes for dunks? Gotta love it. And in that game, the fourth quarter was taken over by a young man who went to Virginia Commonwealth University, where my friend... And former teammate at Rice, Brent Scott, is an assistant head coach there. Bones Highland, I didn't know his story. He and his family, a couple of years prior, were rescued from a burning house by first responders. He and his brother were saved. His grandparents were not. And it was the first time they could see him come play professionally when they played in Philadelphia. He's from the, I think he's from Delaware. And um, it was a very special moment to see Bones with these first responders who helped save at least two lives that night. And his way of paying them back is by inviting them to the game and having them come to see him play. You can never, I, I can never actually imagine the bond that this man, this young man has with those people who saved his life, even though they were unable to save his grandparents' lives. Just an amazing, amazing story. If you have an opportunity, check that out. You can find it online. There's some post-game commentary as well from Bones, but I was really touched by that. I thought it was really cool, but what's also cool is the power 10, the shift in power. And our power 10 this week, so at number one, the Phoenix Suns still thriving, even without Christopher Emmanuel Paul, who should be back before the playoffs, Devin Booker. Now in the MVP conversation, don't know why. Should be. These guys, these guys, Kim Johnson, Mikel Bridges, JaVel McGee, DeAndre Ayton, Jay Crowder, they are a true team. They are deep. They have roundness with Torrey Craig and Landry Shamit coming off the bench, Cam Payne coming off the bench. They're a very solid team. I do not want to see them in the first round of playoffs. Lakers or New Orleans Pelicans. Do not want to see the Phoenix Suns in the first round of playoffs. Number two, the Miami Heat, who leapfrogged this week. The number three team, the Memphis Grizzlies, playing a couple of games with Demetrius Jamel Morant, taking a break due to right knee soreness. They're number three this week. Dylan Brooks back in the lineup, though. That's a good sign for Memphis going toward the playoffs in the last three weeks of the regular season. And number four, the Milwaukee Bucks. They have the best big three in the league. Hands down. I never thought I'd say that. But Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday. I mean, you're going to get quality defenders on one side of it. But also, three guys who understand their roles offensively or that particular team. They are the best and most united big three in the league. Chalk it up. Yes, I said it. At five, the hottest team in the league since the end of January, the Boston Celtics. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, that defense. Ime Yudoka, who, if he was not in the coach of the year conversation before, is easily in that conversation right now. At number six, the Dallas Mavericks, the second hottest team in the league. 
talked about Jason Kidd a little bit earlier. Luka Love, Ma, Doncic, and those guys. And number seven, the Philadelphia 76ers. I don't know if I can trust them. But then again, it's Glenn Rivers coaching the team and Joel Embiid and James Harden. So we will see. These guys can be stifled by junk defenses like Nick Nurse threw at them this past weekend. And a gritty goody victory on the road. The, the Raptors with their sixth straight road victory. Be on the watch out for a team that has a bunch of guys that are between six foot seven and six foot ten who can dribble, pass, and shoot. That is the way of basketball right now. You have to be skilled to be on the court. And the Raptors have a bunch of skilled players who can do that. Be on the watch out. And a championship level coach. Be on the watch out. Never thought I'd say that, but I am saying that. And number eight, the Utah Jazz. At number nine, the Steph Curry list, Golden State Warriors. And at 10, bumping the Chicago Bulls on the Power 10 this week, the Denver Nuggets. Some milestones I want to discuss, and I guess this is what we should talk about before we get out of here. The hashtag, he who shan't be named, is now the second leading scorer in NBA history, surpassing the mailman, Carl Malone. On that list, there's only one person ahead of him, and that is the artist formerly known as Ferdinand Louis Alcindor Jr., Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And Kevin Durant, in a recent interview, said he didn't get the comparisons between Jordan and the hashtag, he shan't be named. They play different eras. They play different positions. The rules are different. Why can't they both be great? Absolutely. But the debate rages on. Who knew? Saw a great article on ESPN called The Chosen Ones by the high school team Roger Bacon from Cincinnati. The one and only high school team to ever beat a hashtag he who shan't be named led team in high school. One. Beat them in the championship game. And it was great seeing these guys say, wow, I got dunked on like by this guy who we think is the greatest player to ever play the game. And these are guys who played against him in high school. They didn't know. And just watching their reactions and knowing that they beat him, like that's a story they can tell for the rest of their lives. And you wonder, maybe you do, that when this young man realized that he had a chance to escape all that had to offer for a young black male growing up in the high crime community, drugs and gang violence. What do you think he thought about when he woke up on the couch when he was couch surfing and missing hundreds of days of school because he didn't have a home because his mother had him at 15? What was that day when he knew that he had this talent within him? He had a chance to be the greatest. Just a chance. And then he got up and made a choice. I'm glad you made the choice you did to listen to the podcast where basketball and life are one. So until next week, do remember, do what's popular with the population. Make sure you don't get beat off the dribble. And keep listening to The Open Run with Will Strickland. Rich kid, my mellow, my man. Do what you do when you do it, homeboy. Easy.